Our sun floats in darkness, attended by moons made of trash. Long ago, when the planets were reshaped by mankind, the detritus of their terraforming operations was fused together into moon-sized spheres by orbital compactors and shoved out towards Sol. Gripped by the gravity of her mass, most of these trash moons have completed their centuries-long funeral march into the nuclear fires of the sun, but several hundred laggards still remain, circling their eventual demise. Hello. And welcome to Best Seller, where we read and rate the latest books on the New York Times hardcover fiction list. 20 minutes with us and you'll know whether to read it or regift it. I'm Brian. And I'm Barbara. Today's special episode is part two of the end of the year wrap up we started last week, bestowing awards for a variety of distinctions achieved by the 191 books that made 2023's New York Times list for best selling hardcover fiction. I began today's show by reading the opening of Pierce Brown's Lightbringer, a fantasy novel that did win one of the awards we're handing out today. Our awards being called The Besties? That's what we decided to call them, and it seems to have stuck. The fan response has been overwhelmingly positive. The fan response being... My cousin Gretchen from Indiana. She really liked it. Recapping last week, we gave out awards for best and worst opening lines. Also, outstanding opening lines in the spirit of Herman Melville's Call Me Ishmael and Edward Bulwer-Lytton's It Was a Dark and Stormy Night. Four cover design awards, including best and worst covers and cover most likely to be censored. That was fun. Yeah, and we got a nice note back from Daniel Christopher who designed our second favorite book cover of the year, The Villa, by Rachel Hawkins. Did she ask which cover came in first? (laughs) I think she already knew from (laughs) listening to the episode. But she appreciated the recognition and said what we talked about was just what she was hoping people would get from looking at the cover. We also got a note from Janae Frazier, who was designer of our pick for the best cover of the year. Out there screaming. Out there screaming. She said it was exciting news and wished us all the best for the new season of the podcast. That's great. I didn't even know that last bit. Yeah. So what besties are we handing out today? We've got the Pink and Blue Awards, which we'll explain when we get to them in a minute. The Buzzbuster Awards for the best and worst social media ratings of the year. Okay. And for the bulk of the show, we'll be counting down the top 10 best-selling books of the year, and then finishing up with our top three favorite books, a category we're calling The Bill Murray. The Bill Murray? Yeah. uh, Do you remember years ago, he used to do a skit on SNL, Saturday Night Live? Always during the Oscar season, he would come on as a movie critic with a big tote board with all the nominees listed, and he (laughs) he would toss most of them off the board one at a time because he hadn't seen them. (laughs) For one reason or another, until finally, with just one or two nominees left on the board, he'd make the big announcement. Based on what I've seen, my pick for best picture is... (laughs) Uh, So based on what we've read... Our favorite book is... Got it. So let's jump in. Pink and Blue Awards. What's that? This year, I've been keeping a list week by week of the new hardcover fiction bestsellers as they come out. And as I looked at the Amazon page for each book, I started to notice, based on who was posting reviews, it seemed like there were a lot more female fiction readers out there than male. Okay. 
So I was like, what's going on with this? How did you figure there were more female readers? Well, you just look at the names of the reviewers. And so I started keeping track. I would look at the names of the first hundred reviewers, the ones that had gendered names like Paul or Lisa or, you know, gendered profile pictures or little phrases like mother of three. That's kind of obvious. What did you do when it was not obvious and they had a golden retriever Skipped as a over profile? It. Ah, okay. Golden retrievers. Well, yeah, golden retrievers. I'm not good at picking gender. So... <laughs> I would move on. All right. So that's the gendered readership we've been announcing with each book review. Right. It's a crude test, maybe not entirely valid, you know, because it's measuring who posts social media reviews more than who's actually buying or reading the books. But I think it's probably in the ballpark. Yeah. So what did you find out? When you look at all the bestsellers from last year and add up the gendered readership for each book, it turns out 79% of hardcover fiction readers last year were female. 79%. Yeah, basically four out of five. Wow. And nothing makes you more happy than this kind of data, right? Like, <laughs> what do you mean this kind of data? When you can find out something just by counting well, and looking. Well, it did surprise me. I mean, I wouldn't think going into it that women liked fiction more than men. Why would you think that? But then when I started looking around, I'm like, well, who is in these book clubs and, and so on? I've I thought, okay, maybe maybe there just are more female fiction readers, but it was such a strong result, you know, mm -hmm. nearly 80%. I wanted to confirm it. So the next time I went into Barnes & Noble, I sat in their coffee shop and just watched who came over and looked at the books on the new hardcover fiction wall case. So that's not creepy at all? No, no. <laughs> and, and out of the first five shoppers who browsed there, how many do you think were female? Um, All of them? No, four out of five. Oh. 80%. <laughs> there you go. Confirmation. Yes, confirmation. And then the next time I went back, hoping to get a bigger sample. Uh, four out of five again? No, zero out of zero. It was really dead and I got bored. <laughs> How long did you give it? Long enough to get bored. <laughs> so, it was dead. So try I drank again. my tea and moved on. <laughs> so you can try again next time. Yep. So what about genres? Well, I did look at that. All the genres are also getting more female readers than male. All but one, anyway. Tell. So as you might expect, romance is the most lopsidedly female. 99% female readership. But not a huge surprise. Yeah, and then going down the line, the next genre with the most female readers is what's called relationship fiction, 92%. You want to define that? So a romance is about a couple that the reader believes should be together, but they're not. That's the definition of a romance. How do they get together? Think Harlequin. There's a lot of fiction out there that focuses on other relationships besides that. Family relationships, friendships, work relationships. That's called relationship fiction. Sometimes it's called women's fiction. Sometimes mm. it's called domestic fiction. I hate the term women's fiction, by the way, because yeah. that doesn't really tell you what it's about. Relationship fiction works. Yeah, it's a good one. So that's 92% female readers. Historical fiction, 88%. Mm. Literary fiction, 82% female readership. Wow. And all of these that I named so far, romance, relationship fiction, historical, and literary fiction, those are generally grouped together on the shelf at the store as just fiction. So you might call it straight fiction. But now we get into what people think of as genre fiction. Like mysteries, fantasy. Right. And fantasy and science fiction are often grouped together on the shelf, but they're really different and they have different audiences. And you can see that in the gendered makeup of it. Care to guess the number for fantasy? Um, I would say that's probably still mostly women. 85%, at least in 2023. Again, it surprised me. 
Science fiction, on the other hand, 53% female readers. Hmm. So almost half and half, just a little bit more than half. Still just a little bit more. So if you think science fiction is just read by men, you're out of date. Still haven't found a genre with more male readers than female. Okay, so let's look at the mysteries. What do you think? I'm not going to look ahead. It's a big genre with lots of bestsellers, lots of subgenres. For our purposes, I thought we should at least split it into two that are very different kinds of stories. Crime stories, you know, with a detective or sometimes a criminal as the main character. And then there's what's called action adventure. Mm. That's focused on the military or spies and assassins, occasionally some sort of big cataclysmic accident, like a you know a plane going down. Wasn't there one of those last year? Yes. T.J. Newman, who used to be a flight attendant, wrote a book called Drowning, in which an airliner goes down into the sea and everybody has to be rescued. Mm, not a great airport read. I'm not actually sure they sell that at the airport. <laughs> People might not get on the plane. <laughs> By the way, this is the only action-adventure novel on the list written by a female author. Hmm. Audience? She had 80% female readers for her book. Nice. But the action genre as a whole, you know, all the books about war and CIA operatives, that is the one that's mostly read by males. Readership, 34% female. So even the most male-oriented genre, actioners, still has a significant number of female readers. Yeah, like a third. But romance has nearly zero male readers. Hmm. What about the other mysteries, the crime novels? Those are read mostly by women these days, 76%. So with that background, tell us about the Pink and Blue Awards. Okay. So these are for the books, not the genres, the individual books with the most lopsided audience by gender. Male or female? Yes. So the first award today is for the fiction hardcover bestseller with the smallest proportion of female readers. A book for manly men. Yeah, I didn't know what to name the award. I, I thought maybe an icon of manly manhood. <laughs> and when I searched on that search term, guess what came up? Um, Schwarzenegger? No, bull riding. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, apparently this is the most completely male-dominated profession out there. Uh, I didn't know that, but I guess it makes sense. Yeah. So we're naming this the Dalen Swearingen Award after one of the most recent world champion bull riders. Dalen Swearingen, masculine name. Yeah, not only did he win the world bull riding title in 2022, he did it while tearing his groin off. What? Yeah, I'm not making this up. There's a New York Post piece, which is always trustworthy, right? And I'll just read it. A year after tearing his groin clean off at Madison Square Garden, world champion bull rider Dalen Swearingen returned to the world's most famous arena over the weekend seeking another 24 thrilling seconds atop a ferocious beast. And here's a quote from him. Last year here, I actually tore my groin off my pelvis, <laughs> the Pifford New York cowboy told the Post Friday. Groins are like a pretty big injury. Not a lot of people tear them all the way off. Wait, wait. You're not talking about a, a just the loincloth. You're talking about the groin I'm itself. reading it just like you are. How much anatomy goes with the... Okay, are you still a manly man if you've lost your groin? I didn't even know it could be torn off. But look, <laughs> if he's back bull riding one year after getting his groin torn clean off, then he's an icon of manliness, regardless of the anatomical situation. Fine. Nominees? Okay, in no particular order, the three best-selling books with the smallest female readership last year, Only the Dead by Jack Carr. Which we reviewed last year. It's about a former Navy SEAL turned free-range assassin. And here's the blurb. Unfortunately for his enemies, the former SEAL is not concerned with odds. 
He is on the warpath, and when James Reese picks up his tomahawk and sniper rifle, no one is out of range. Tomahawks are known for their great range. <laughs> yes. Okay, next nominee. Burner by Mark Greeny about a freelance hitman caught between the Russian mafia and the CIA. Blurb. A gray man novel. When you kick over... I think you're supposed to use that deep, gravelly kind of voice for these blurbs. When you kick over a rock, mm -hmm. you never know what's going to crawl out. <laughs> Good. <laughs> You, you might actually be better than me at that. And the third nominee, Tom Clancy Flashpoint by Don Bentley, in which Jack Ryan Jr. and his team must stop China and the U.S. from stumbling into war over Taiwan. Blurb, if there's one thing Jack Ryan Jr.'s father taught him, it's that freedom isn't free. And the winner. Don't, the don't laugh at my gravelly voice. My <laughs> that wasn't gravel what I was laughing at. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the winner of the Dalen Swearingen Award for book least appealing to the great mass of female fiction readers, Tom Clancy Flashpoint. And in fact, any book with Tom Clancy in the title. There were more? There were two more just last year. Okay, so Burner had 23% female readership, Only the Dead 20%. Mm. But all three Tom Clancy books last year... Tom Clancy with his name on it, because mm -hmm. the author's no longer around, I believe. Mm. All three of them had less than that. Red Winter, Tom Clancy and Red Winter, 19%. Tom Clancy Flashpoint, 16%. And Tom Clancy Weapons Grade, the lowest female readership of the entire year, just 14%. Wow. That's still like one female reader out of every seven. Well, that's what I learned this year. Women read everything including the manly books, but there are certain books that no man will touch. We'll see when we get to the next category. Before we move on, take a look at the three Tom Clancy covers and tell me what you see. Looks like schematics for flying vessels. And what are those vessels doing? Exploding, bombing, and what zipping shape, around. And what shape? Oh, these are all phallic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I noticed that immediately. There are three phallic symbols flying out of the cover at you. <laughs> It's true. Exploding phalluses. It's unavoidable. Explo <laughs> Explo <laughs> That's their favorite. Exploding fat. Okay. <laughs> so there's the Dalen swearing and congratulations to the winners of that. So the next award is for the book that somehow succeeds in repelling nearly all male readers. Yes. Unlike the Dalen swearing and where even the manliest home still has 14% female readership, there are bestsellers that somehow achieve a nearly man-free audience. Name of the award? The Luscious Blushing Fuchsia. <laughs> what? Okay, that's good. Well, yeah. you know, icons of femininity, which is what I looked up first, like Marilyn Monroe or Paris Hilton or um, what's her name? Taylor Swift. Mm. They don't actually repel men. I saw that. Do you know what the gender of Taylor Swift fandom is? It's 48% male. No way. No, it's it's out there. Wow. Look it up. It must be true. It must be true. So female icons of femininity do not repel men, but the color pink does somehow. Or Really? Fuchsia. How do you say it? Fuchsia? Fuchsia. Yeah. Huh. It does. When my kids were little and I have two boys, when I would take them to Toys R Us every few weeks to spend their allowances, there were these aisles that were completely pink. I mean, the toys in them, the pink and coral and fuchsia and the rosette. 
salmon and yeah, all this. I've seen it. It was so strong. You didn't even have to turn your head. The waves <laughs> of the color frequencies emanated from the aisle, and you knew with two boys not even to turn down that way. Walked right past. Wait, what do you think was down there? Girl stuff. Okay, so the Luscious Blushing Fuchsia Award. Provisional title. Work in progress. Nominees. In no particular order, The True Love Experiment by Christina Lauren, which is actually a two-woman writing team, Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings. Blurb. Sparks fly when a romance writer and a documentary filmmaker join forces to craft the ultimate Hollywood love story, but only if they can keep the chemistry between them from taking the whole thing off script. The next nominee, Happy Place by Emily Henry. Which we reviewed last year. Here's the blurb. A couple who broke up months ago pretend to still be together for their annual week-long vacation with their best friends. After years of being in love, how hard can it be to fake it for one week in front of those who know you best? All right. And our final nominee for the luscious blushing fuchsia is The Unmaking of June Farrow by Adrienne Young. Blurb. The Farrow women are known for their thriving flower farm and the madness that led to Susanna Farrow's disappearance. Her daughter June steps through a mysterious door appearing out of nowhere and embarks on a journey that will not only change the past and the future, but also uncover the lingering mysteries of her small town and entangle her heart in an epic star-crossed love. Okay, so three pretty serious contenders and the winner is... Happy Place by Emily Henry. Congratulations to her. What were the percentages? It was very tight. There were several books that had 99% female readership, including The True Love Experiment, but only two over the entire year that had 100%. When I looked through wow. all the Amazon reviews, not a single male to be found. Not even a Happy Golden Place Retriever? and The Unmaking of <laughs> June Farrow. <laughs> Not a single male reader between Other them. than me, because remember, I read right. Happy Place yeah. since our project last year was to re- read all the number ones. Right. And I did read Happy Place and enjoyed it very much. Thank you very much. Indeed you did. So other than me, my scan of Amazon and Goodreads didn't reveal a single male reader. So we needed a tiebreaker and you suggested. Yeah. So since Happy Place was on the list for 19 weeks and five of them at number one, while June Farrow was only on the list for one week. And at number 15. I thought it should go to Happy Place. On the grounds that? It repelled more men. There you go. Also, Happy Place has this very bright pink cover that really brought me back to those days in Toys R Us skirting past the girl aisle. So I'm good with our choice for the first luscious blushing fuchsia, which I'm very proud that I can get that out. Indeed. Great. So what's next? Well, we have our inaugural Buzzbuster Awards. Which means? Buzz means what's the buzz? What are people saying about these books? So we have one award for the bestseller with the highest social media ratings and one award for the lowest. Mm. And the buster part? Well, I had mixed feelings about the award. Social media ratings, you know, the stars that you get on Amazon or mm-hmm. Goodreads are public information. They're out there. They're easy to find. The averages are compiled and everybody can see them and talk about them. So it's part of the scene. But? But they're kind of messed up. <laughs> Anybody can post anything for any reason, and you get some really strange goings on. Did you see last year there was this young author, Kate Corrine, who got caught creating fake accounts to post five-star reviews of her forthcoming debut novel, but also posting one-star reviews of a whole bunch of other forthcoming debut novels. Oh, man. Which she hadn't read since they're not out yet? Right. You can do that. You can review books before they're out. But it got worse. 
It turned out all the debut novelists she was trashing were people of color. Oh, no. Yeah. Wasn't there also someone whose forthcoming book got pulled because it was set in Russia and people were freaking out? Yeah, the the whole phenomenon is called review bombing. In this case, it was Elizabeth Gilbert, author of the famous Eat, Pray, Love book. Oh, I love that book. She had an upcoming novel, The Snow Forest, delayed because it was getting bombed because it was a novel set in Russia, you know, while Russia is waging this war of aggression. It's getting weird out there. I mean, yeah, give the book a chance. I don't know, maybe all her Russians are bad guys. Would that be all right? (laughs) I mean, or maybe it's a nuanced picture and they're a mix of good and evil characteristics. You know, like in real life. So I have mixed feelings about the whole social media rating system and how it's being used. I would think most people review responsibly. I mean, by actually reading the book and then posting an honest reaction? I mean, I would hope so. I think it's probably true. So I did want to recognize the best and worst ratings of the year in some way, even though it's a problematic metric. Got it. So I came up with the Buzzbuster approach. Which is? Well, even the book with the very lowest scores of the year still got some five-star reviews. So let's share those. Sure. Counteract the unfortunate fact that she had the worst average ratings. Right, and the, even the author that had the very highest average score still had some one-star reviews mixed in. So let's see what they had to say. Bust up the game a little bit. You in? Yeah, I'm in. So which one first? How about the lowest scoring? Okay, so this was a surprise. Out of the 191 hardcover fiction bestsellers last year, the one with the very lowest average of Amazon, Goodreads, and Storygraph reviews was The House in the Pines by Anna Reyes. Hmm. Had an average of 3.5 on Amazon, 3.1 on Goodreads, 3.11 on Storygraph. Those don't seem so low. I know, they're threes, but you know what? Bestsellers, they usually score 4.5 and up. Great inflation, right? Mm -hmm. So these low threes are actually really low scores within that class of books. So why is it a surprise? Because this book did quite well. It was actually one of the top 20 performers of the year in sales. It came out at the very beginning of January 2023. It was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick, and it spent nine weeks on the bestseller list, peaking all the way up at number two. So what's that one about? It's a crime story, a debut novel by Anna Reyes. The main character, Maya, has some addiction issues, some lost memories, and her past starts coming back to her when she comes across a YouTube video of a young woman sitting at a diner who just sort of keels over and dies for no apparent reason. Jeez. Yeah, Maya recognizes the man sitting across from this woman in the diner, and she remembers in high school her best friend died the same strange way right in front of the same weird guy. Oh, that's weird. It's a promising premise. You know what? I actually read this book when it came out. What did you think? Well, the end was really messed up, and I don't mean in a good way. I do remember that. But I also remember the book was at least okay to that point. It's certainly not what I would call the worst novel of the year. Maybe I'd put it in the bottom third of what I read. Okay, so let's bust up the ratings. Yeah, so I'm just going to read a few five-star ratings given to The House in the Pines. Here we go. Every once in a while, it seems the books I choose are flat and boring. Like ordering a salad with grilled chicken, what you really want is bacon cheeseburger deluxe with a lot of bacon and a lot of crispy fries. Maybe a beer, just saying. I received this book and read it in three sittings over the course of a day and a half. This is between working two full-time jobs, chauffeuring my kids around, and trying not to be lazy. That's from Amazon Woman, titled Broke My Reading Funk. You had like a really funny expression on your face during that. I I mean... These are the reviews that are out there. This is what you found. Yeah. All right, next five-star review. 
Ms. Reyes's writing is detailed. You will surely come to know the house in the pines and feel the warmth and love of a life lived there until you don't. From Librarian Linda, the past is always present. Yeah, that one could almost be one of those those deep foreboding voices. <laughs> the love of a life lived there until you don't. All right. So here's another one. Wow, I stayed up until 1 a.m. This book was so captivating. The writing was great, clear, and concise with no filler. Exciting story. And all in good taste. <laughs> this is from somebody who calls himself piano teacher. You know, a piano teacher who likes books that are all in good taste. Mm. There you go. Okay, so the last one. Page after page, Into the Night, definitely deserves five stars. Glad I read it in September, just in time for the spooky season. From Kyla Montoya, creepy but so good. So there you go. She got the lowest scores of the, all the bestsellers, but she's got some fans out there. She still had some five-star ratings. Yeah. She got a piano teacher and a librarian who liked it. <laughs> so let's move on to the Buzz Buster Award for the highest social media scores of the year. And the winner is Lightbringer by Pierce Brown, the one you read at the opening. Mm -hmm. It came out in July of 23 and was on the list for just one week, but at number two, behind only the huge bestseller, Fourth Wing. Social media ratings? It's got a 4.9 average on Amazon, 4.8 on Goodreads, 4.72 on Storygraph. Those are huge scores. No one else was even close. Wow. Yeah, and it's not like he only had, you know, like three or four friends rating it. He got 8,000 reviews on Amazon and 24,000 on Goodreads. Wow. What's it about? So it's the sixth book in his Red Rising series set on Mars about 700 years in the future after the solar system has been colonized. It's kind of a science fiction adventure series with a lot of class conflict and battle scenes. Was there anyone who didn't like it? You know, just a very tiny little slice of readers, but we've got their one-star reviews right here. <laughs> okay, you start. All right, quote, Worst of the series. No new interesting plot lines or characters. After all this time trying to remember who was who is just mind-numbing. Give it up. Ouch. That's a little bit harsh from the old well, engineer. Well, he kind of ruins it. He identifies himself as old engineer, which makes you think, well, if you're that old, maybe it's not the book numbing your mind. Maybe it's natural causes. Oh, no. All right. Next one-star review. Wonderful book, but chapters 83 to 86 were printed backwards <laughs> and upside down. Very inconvenient. Okay. Review by Kimmy Bennett titled Misprint. <laughs> okay. Misprint with a question mark. And I want to say, yes, misprint. It was. It was not done deliberately by the author to tick you off. Right. All right, here's the next one. Christ on a cracker brown cannot seem to end this story, so he keeps blathering on. Oh, short and to the point. Yes, one more. All right, this one's by P.B. Meza. Endless monologuing and boring, milquetoast Nazi Lysander. Not even a good bad guy. The war isn't meant to be won. It's meant to keep the books coming. I want to send the author a bag of flaming poo. Wait, is there such a thing as a milk toast Nazi? Um, as an attorney, I would recommend not sending the bag of poo. Well, well, yes, it's the reviewer foolishly identified himself by name. All right, so there's our Buzzbuster Awards. House in the Pines by Ana Reyes and Lightbringer by Pierce Brown. Congratulations to both of them. All right, are we ready to move on? Yes, to the main event. The top 10 best-selling books of the year, hardcover fiction category. What are we calling this category? Best sellers. Uh, you know, but with a little space between the two words. <laughs> best selling. Best sellers. Best sellers. Okay. As determined by? Well, look, 
the New York Times doesn't give us any actual sales numbers. Hmm, proprietary. Just, yes. They, we don't know how they make their determination. We That's don't know proprietary. Anything. They just tell us which books in their estimation sold the most each week. We don't even know how close it was. You don't, we don't know whether number one had twice as many sales as number two or 10 times as many or just a couple more. So it's hard to tell annual sales from that. Right. Pretty much impossible. But there are services like Circana BookScan that compile point of sale data for books. They can tell you those numbers, how many copies a given book sold over the course of a year, a month, a week, whatever. So we went with that. No. No? Because? Because it's expensive. Oh. BookScan data is purchased by publishers. So they can see how the competition is doing. And they pay dearly for that data, like, I don't know, $6,000 a month or something. Oh, boy. That's beyond the budget of our show. Yeah. Wait, our show has a budget? What did we go with to determine 2023's best selling, best sellers? So I just used publicly available data, the free stuff. Huh. You know, the number of weeks on the bestseller, and then I weighted it by which spots it occupied. You know, more points for being number one, less for number two, mm. a lot less for being 15. Sure. And then I also looked at social media response, not the ratings, just how many reviews a book was getting. So what does that show? Well, it's a measure of engagement, not sales directly, because you can read a book and review it without buying it. Borrow it from the library or a friend. Or just stand there at the bookstore and... Read the whole thing and put it back on the shelf. People do that. Hardcovers are $30. Ebooks are, what, 15 Of course people do that. No. When I was a poor college student, we used to park ourselves in the campus convenience store and read entire magazines. And they let you do that? Well, it depends on whether or not the clerk was an asshole. <laughs> because the, the... Well, the assholes chase you out, but <laughs> I think we're getting off topic. The point is that other than jerks who review books they haven't read, a small number, I would hope, the number of reviews posted can tell you, at least relatively, how many readers a book is getting. So you combined the number of weeks on the list with the number of social media reviews. Yeah, kind of like Dancing with the Stars. Judges' score combined with viewer votes determines the winner. So performance on the bestseller list, the New York Times, combined with social media engagement gives us our top 10. Our show, our rules. Yep. You ready? Yes. So the number 10 best-selling bestseller of the year. Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. It was released in August last year, and we reviewed it in September. The story of Laura and her three young adult daughters working their Michigan orchard in the time of COVID shutdowns, during which cherry-picking time Laura's daughters beg for the full, untold story of her involvement with famous actor Peter Duke, back when the two were young actors in a Michigan summer stock production of Our Town. So number 10 for the entire year was Tom Lake. It spent 17 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list in 2023, including one week at number one. And it's been back on the list for four weeks already in 2024. Wow. It had, mm -hmm, it had 22,000 Amazon reviews and 122,000 Goodreads reviews. Wow. It was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. The key passage, we'll read one of these for each of the top 10. So this is the key passage from Tom Lake. It's not that I'm unaware of the suffering and the soon-to-be more suffering in the world. It's that I know that suffering exists beside wet grass and a bright blue sky recently scrubbed by rain. The beauty and the suffering are equally true. Our town taught me that. Yeah, so that's number 10. What about the number nine bestseller of the year? Mad Honey by Jody Piku and Jennifer Finney Boylan. It was released in October of 2022. We didn't review it, but I actually read that book. The story follows the case of 18-year-old Asher Fields charged with the murder of his girlfriend, Lily. 
Asher's mother, Olivia, is initially convinced of her son's innocence, but can't help noticing similarities between Asher and her abusive ex-husband, Asher's father. So what did you think of Mad Honey? I thought it was very, very good. Very Mm. well done. Kind of wish we could have reviewed it. It had really good scores from me, Grab and Grip, and um, I think it, it covers a very important social issue in terms of transgender and oh, okay. how they're treated and understood. And also it has a sort of a legal thriller part to it as well. And was that part good too? Yeah, it was quite good. So what would you give it in stars? Probably a four. So this book, Mad Honey, spent 16 weeks on the list in 2023 after 10 weeks in 2022. And it, it peaked at number three. It's got 50,000 wow. Amazon reviews and over 300,000 Goodreads, which I would say about 200,000 of those came in 2023. It was also a celebrity book club pick, GMA. And do we have a, a key passage to share? Here's the key passage. People think of a beehive as a monarchy because there is a queen. But in reality, a colony has a hive mind. Knowledge is shared. Opinions are offered. Decisions are made collectively. I can only hope Asher's jury is as enlightened. Okay, so that's Mad Honey, number nine for the year. And the eighth best-selling book of the year is The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese, released in May of 23, an intergenerational epic spanning the years 1900 to 1977 about a Kerala India family with a peculiar affliction. In every generation, at least one person dies from drowning. Hmm. By the Stanford University medical professor and author Abraham Verghese, whose 2009 first novel, Cutting for Stone, about political change in Ethiopia, stayed on the bestseller list for over two years. Yes, so this one, The Covenant of Water, spent 31 weeks on the list in 2023, peaking at number three. And then again, it's come back in 2024. It's like a lot of these really big sellers from 2023 are up there again. So it had 46,000 reviews on Amazon and 95,000 on Goodreads. And it was an Oprah pick. Nice. Here's another interesting fact about it. The audiobook is narrated by Verghese himself. Oh, that's cool. Now, this is the only book in the top 10 of the year that neither of us has read yet. Mm. But I'm not worried because we won't stop until we've read them all. Indeed. And here's a little passage. And by the way, we didn't mention this on the show last week because we only mentioned the top three. But this one came in number four for the best opening line of Ah. the year. So I'm going to read the opening of The Covenant of Water. Mm. She is 12 years old, and she will be married in the morning. Mother and daughter lie on the mat, their wet cheeks glued together. The saddest day of a girl's life is the day of her wedding, her mother says. After that, God willing, it gets better. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we're still going to read this one. So that's number, definitely. But let's move on. What came in number seven of the year? Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. Released way back in May of 22, a widowed 70-year-old named Tova cleans the Sowell Bay Aquarium in Puget Sound every night and becomes friends with Marcellus, a giant Pacific octopus who lives in an enclosure at the aquarium. Tova lost her 18-year-old son, Eric, years ago when he mysteriously vanished from a boat in Puget Sound. This is the story of how the intelligent and enterprising octopus Marcellus helps Tova solve the mystery. Right. So this book had a remarkable journey. It was it spent 28 weeks on the list in 2023 after just one week in 2022. So it, it was released in May of 2022, spent one week on the list, and then disappeared. Mm. It kind of bubbled under. It got some buzz at the end of 2023 and just sort of hung around the list 
all of 2023, but never very high. Mm. Never went above number 10, but it just kept coming back and coming back. It spent four weeks already in 2024, and now it's moved up to number four. Oh, wow. Yeah, it got 47,000 reviews on Amazon and 385,000 on Goodreads. Wow. This is her debut novel, so that's impressive. And it was another book club pick. Jenna picked it. Got it. It was probably some serendipity that it did as well as it did because there was a very prominent motion picture right before her book came Mm. out called My Octopus Teacher, which actually won the Oscar for Best Documentary in 2021. It was also nominated for an audio award for the best audio book of the year in 2022. So this is a book that I read and you didn't get to yet. What did you think? I liked it. I would give it three stars. It was well-written. I thought the ending was handled quite well. I I wouldn't say Mm. it was an especially deep story. Surprisingly, the octopus parts, which is kind of what draws people in. In fact, I I read that they just call it the octopus book, like Mm. at the bookstores. The octopus parts, though they start out compelling, they sort of get a little thinner and further spread out as the novel progresses until you realize Mm. they're they're not really that big a part of the story. Mm. But here's a key passage. This is in Marcellus's voice. My lifespan, four years, 1,460 days. I was brought here as a juvenile. I shall die here in this tank. At the very most, 160 days remain until my sentence is complete. Mm, That's sort of heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, but the book itself is... It's poignant, but it's not It's not super heavy. Okay. It's okay. it's an enjoyable read. I gave it three stars. That's helpful. Okay, so which book came in number six? Number six, Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano, which was released in March of 2023. In an homage to Louisa May Alcott's classic Little Women, Napolitano presents the story of four sisters, Julia, Sylvie, Cecilia, and Emmeline, and the young man, William Waters, drawn into their circle when he marries Julia after growing up in a house silenced by tragedy. Mm. So this spent 22 weeks on the list last year, peaking at number two, somehow behind I Will Find You by Harlan Coben. Not sure how. Yeah. It got 55,000 Amazon reviews and nearly 200,000 on Goodreads. Mm. Another pick by one of the big celebrity book clubs, Oprah. Nice. Yeah. Now, this is one that you read and I haven't got to yet. What did you think of it? I thought it was very good. I enjoyed it. I was pulled in. I would probably give it four stars, maybe four and a half. Is this the sort of book you would recommend to anybody or like what kind of readers do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, given your overview earlier, this is this qualifies as relationship fiction. But I think there's something in it for I don't think that just because men may naturally be repelled by the blushing fuchsia colors. I I don't think they should stay away from this. Well, I said men are repelled. I didn't say it was natural. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from. I don't know either. But um, I think that there's a lot for a lot of people to learn. I think it's a very good, healthy, enjoyable. It's important because mm. it highlights mental health uh, and the importance of this the support network that we weave for ourselves and with our loved ones. And um, this one made me cry. And they don't always make me cry. Okay, so do we have a key passage to share? So I'm going to read the very first, just the opening. For the first six days of William Waters' life, he was not an only child. He had a three-year-old sister, a redhead named Caroline. There were silent home movies of Caroline in which William's father looked like he was laughing, a sight William never saw again. All right. 
Thank you. And now we're moving into the top five bestsellers of 2023. Number five is... Happy Place by Emily Henry. It was released late April 23. We reviewed it in July. Harriet and Wynne broke up five months ago, but Harriet hasn't told her friend group yet. She couldn't bear to tell them because she's still in love with them. Harriet is invited to the cottage in Maine for their usual summer holiday with her friends, and when she gets there, who does she find? Wynne. When her best friend Sabrina announces that she and her longtime boyfriend Parth are getting married at the end of the week, Harriet and Wynne agree that in order not to spoil Sabrina's perfect wedding day, they're going to pretend all week that everything is fine between them. They'll even share a room together if that's what it takes. So we're into the top five now. So we're getting to books that really performed well. This was on the list 19 weeks. Yeah. A long time, May to September, and it was five weeks at number one. It's got 60,000 Amazon reviews and on Goodreads, 600,000. Wow. It was named a most anticipated book of 2023 by BuzzFeed. Now, this was not a celebrity book club pick, but it did win the inaugural Luscious Blushing Fuchsia Award, which was given out just... Um, just a few minutes oh, ago. Oh, yeah, this episode. Right. So, so let's... I, I actually enjoyed it very much, and I was very proud of the fact that I was the only man in the continental U.S. that, that read it. <laughs> I was very proud of you as well. And I would recommend it. It's very well written. I thought it was great. Here's a key passage. He uses my name a lot. Every time, it's like his voice plucks a too tight string in a piano deep in my stomach. Like so many of the books on this list, there's a hundred passages you could pick. That mm. was just indicative of, of how he affected her and how Emily Henry writes about it. But let's go on. The number four best-selling book of the year. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin was released in July of 22. We reviewed it in September 23. Sam and Sadie meet at age 12 when Sam is in the hospital recovering from an automobile accident that shattered his leg. And Sadie is there visiting her sister who's being treated for cancer. They become reacquainted in the mid-90s when both are studying computer science and game design in Boston. Sam at Harvard, Sadie at MIT. They discover they make a really great video game design team, and the book follows their personal and professional relationship as they design a series of games together, some hits, some flops, and move through periods of closeness and distance in their friendship. Yeah, so this one's been around for a while. As you mentioned, it was released in July of 2022. It spent 51 weeks total on the list, 11 weeks in 2022, 37 weeks in 23, and three weeks in 2024. And it peaked at number two. Wow. Never made number one. 57,000 Amazon ratings in just the calendar year 2023, and over 500,000 Goodreads reviews in 2023. This was named the Amazon Editor's number one book of 2022, and it was recognition like that that really pushed it onto the Indeed. bestseller list for so much of 2023. Yes. It also was the pick, our pick, for the worst cover design of 2022, <laughs> and the winner of the Herman Melville Award for Outstanding Opening Line in the Spirit of Call Me Ishmael. Right. So it actually won two awards last week from the besties. Two besties. Yeah. So here's a key passage. To allow yourself to play with another person is no small risk. It means allowing yourself to be open, to be exposed, to be hurt. It is the human equivalent of the dog rolling on its back. To play requires trust and love. Many years later, as Sam would controversially say in an interview, there is no more intimate act than play, even sex. So that's number four of the year. 
And the number three bestseller? Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. This was released in October 2022, and we reviewed it in September 23. The story takes place from the mid-1990s to the early 2000s in Lee County, Virginia, the hills of Appalachia, and follows the life of Damon Fields, nicknamed Demon Copperhead, from age 9 to about 18. As a young man, Demon looks back on the struggles he experienced growing up, poverty, domestic abuse, the foster system, homelessness, drug addiction, deaths of loved ones, and so on, with a strong focus on the opioid crisis. Notably, Demon Copperhead is a retelling of the famous Charles Dickens novel, David Copperfield, in which Dickens chronicled the situation of folks in poverty in 19th century England. King Solver here puts the same lens on people closer to our own day and age. So Demon Copperhead, 63 weeks on the list total. That's eight weeks in 2022, 51 weeks in 2023, and four already in 2024. And this one also peaked at number two, never made number one, coming in behind Boys from Biloxi by Grisham. So that 51 weeks in 2023, that's just two weeks short of the whole year because there were 53 lists in 2023 by quirks of the calendar. Somehow the magic of the New York Times list gave us 53 weeks in a year? No, it's the magic of the 365 days in a year. There's, oh. The list comes out on Sundays. Okay. And there were 53 Sundays. That, 53 that, Sundays. Yeah. There you go. This was also an Oprah pick. And possibly even more notably, it won the Pulitzer Prize. Well, yeah, I so would I, say that's more even even more notable. Hey, let's give Oprah her due. Sure, for sure. So it had a lot of things pushing it back onto the list. We reviewed it. We loved it. And I want to share a key passage. Hillbilly is a word everybody knows. I mainly knew it from this one rerun that came on Nick at Night. Beverly Hillbillies, which was this family running around a city wearing ropes for a belt, packing antique rifles, and driving a junk-ass truck. Dead hilarious. Then one time, Maggot's high school cousin, Bonnie, saw us watching it and said we were clueless little turds. She said, be careful who we laughed at. That family was supposedly us. Meaning what? There's not a person here that carries on like that or drives such crap, I assure you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. And we're almost at the top. Which fiction hardcover came in second for 2023? Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros, released in May of 2023. And guess what? It's follow-up at Iron Flame, November of 2023. Two warring countries, Poramil and Navarre, share an island continent called The Continent. At 20 years of age, Violet Sorengale is now expected to enter Navarre's war college and be trained as a scribe, a healer in the infantry, or as a writer, a writer of dragons. Her mother, General Lilith Sorengale, insists that she become a writer, even though Violet, with her small stature and frailty, doesn't seem like a natural fit. The first volume of this planned five-part series follows Violet as she maneuvers through the often fatal obstacles the war college sets up to weed out the weak and as she falls in love or lust with the exquisitely gorgeous Zayden, who happens to be her wing commander, and even more awkwardly, the son of the man reportedly responsible for killing her brother in battle. Fourth Wing and Iron Flame are sitting at numbers one and two on the list as we speak in 2024 and have been there for three weeks. Who knows how long they'll stay, probably a while. Fourth Wing was on the list for 32 weeks in 2023, including 16 weeks at number one. 
fourth wing that has 130,000 Amazon and 900,000 reviews on Goodreads. So here's a key passage. A cadet bolts out of third wing. The red dragon on the left opens its vast mouth, revealing teeth as big as I am. Fire erupts along its tongue, then shoots outward in a macabre blaze toward the fleeing cadet. He's a pile of ash on the gravel before he can even make it to the shadow of the keep. Anyone else feel like changing their mind? Zayden shouts. Excellent. Roughly half of you will be dead by this time next summer. So that's the phenomenon that is fourth wing that is going to continue dominating the list for quite a while, I expect. But we're talking about 2023. Are you ready for number one? Are you ready with a dramatic drum roll sound effect? Of course. And the number one best-selling bestseller of 2023? Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, released April 2022, reviewed by us in March of 23. Elizabeth Zott is a very talented research chemist, but it's the 1950s, and her education and career advancement are subject to real and pervasive sexism. She manages all this the best she can while working at the Hastings Research Institute, where she meets Calvin Evans, a world-renowned chemist. They fall in love tragedy strikes and she finds herself a single mother out of work. To make ends meet, she agrees to host an afternoon cooking show at the local television station, which becomes a surprise hit as Elizabeth uses her knowledge of chemistry to concoct amazing dishes and her respect for women to build up the self-esteem and self-awareness of her largely female audience. So if you've been following at all, you know this is not a surprise. Lessons in Chemistry has just been super, super prominent all year. It was on the list so far, 88 weeks, okay, 31 weeks in 2022, 53 weeks in 2023, which is not impossible. <laughs> it's done. It's every been done. seven years, there's 53. So every single week of 2023, this book was on the top 15 list. And then the first four weeks of 2024, and uh, the book spent 14 weeks at number one. It's got 150,000 Amazon reviews just in 2023, more than any other book. Wow. And currently sits at over a million Goodreads reviews. Wow. About 600,000 of those in 2023. More than any other 2023 book other than Fourth Wing, okay? Hmm. Also completed the first season of its adapted miniseries on Apple TV. This was her debut novel. Wow. It was a GMA pick. And it also was named Barnes & Noble Book of the Year at the end of 2022, which is when I first noticed it. That probably helped. And that really propelled it back onto the list. I asked the store manager at the time, what's the Barnes & Noble book of the year? He said, it's our estimate of a book that anybody can buy as a gift for anybody and feel secure. I remember that. Having read this book, I would not go that far. You wouldn't? No, I don't think everybody would enjoy this book. But everyone should read it. Sure. (laughs) But he didn't say that. The number one performing book of 2023 is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Do you have a little yeah, here's section? Yeah, here's the key passage. Whenever you start doubting yourself, Elizabeth said, turning back to the audience, whenever you feel afraid, just remember, courage is the root of change, and change is what we're chemically designed to do. So when you wake up tomorrow, make this pledge. No more holding yourself back. Do not allow your talents to lie dormant, ladies. Design your own future. When you go home today, ask yourself what you will change, and then get started. So congratulations to all the top 10, and especially to Bonnie Garmus with her debut novel, Lessons in Chemistry. Now, before we move on to our favorites of the year, 
I just want to reflect on the top 10 as a whole. There's some really interesting patterns. Did you notice that seven of the 10 were celebrity book club picks? Seven out of 10. Wow. It's like you can't be propelled to this level of prominence in sales without some kind of a boost. Unless you ride dragons. Well, that's Fourth Wing, which was not boosted that way. It was boosted through TikTok. Oh, right. Book talk. A very different way of, of getting the buzz going. But Indeed. It, it worked for Fourth Wing, and now Fourth Wing is, is dominating. But seven of them were picked by book clubs. And then some of the others, remember, uh, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow was named Amazon Book of the Year. That helped propel it onto right. the list. So you need some kind of boost. These All these books are essentially viral phenomena. Yes. And there has to be some mechanisms for getting that going. Secondly, two of the books were debuts. Okay. That's kind of impressive. Yep. And what about the gender of the authorship? Did you notice? Tell. Nine female authors. Wow. Think about that. Of the top 10 performing books of the year, only one male author that was uh, Verghese. What does that say to you? Well, I guess something about if it's mostly women reading them, maybe it makes sense. Well, look at the genre. Look what the genres represented. Were there any mysteries? No. Any action adventure? I know that Fourth Wing and Iron Flame are fantasy, but there's a lot of action in those. It's only one genre book. All the others, all nine of the others are either historical, literary fiction, relationship fiction, or or the one romance, which is Emily Henry's book. Happy Place. Those are the books that get lumped together as straight fiction. Mm. So that's my point. Nine books are fiction. One is genre fiction, namely the fantasy novel Fourth Wing. That's very striking. And though the industry, the field is becoming very female dominated, the authors, the readers, the genres. Congratulations to the debut authors for being in the top 10. Yes. Congratulations to all the winners and all actually all the books that were um, that made it onto the to the list this year. The last award that we're going to, and probably, in my estimate, the most important, <laughs> Just. our favorite, right? our favorite book of the year. Now, remember what we called this? The Bill Murray Award. Yes, because it's for our favorite book of the year based on what we've read. Based on what we've I'm read. I'm just going to tell you straight out, I didn't read 191 best-selling novels last year. Nope. We still have day jobs. <laughs> But I did read a lot. Yes, we did. I read every number one like we set out to do. That's what we did. And based on what we read, now, these are all books that we reviewed that we did episodes on. So you can get our full reaction, our full discussion, just by going back to those episodes. So we're not going to rehash all that here. We're just going to read them out. So let's start with our number three favorite book that we read last year. It was... Hellbent by Lee Barduga, which we gave Bardugo, we gave it 3.9 stars. Yeah. You know, did you notice that Hellbent was not in the top 10 I did. best performing books? Yeah. We liked it. it. Yeah. It was the first book we reviewed. I still have fond memories of it, and I'm kind of looking forward to the next one, although it's not clear that she's going to go on to a next one. I hope there is a next one. I don't read a lot of fantasy, but I enjoyed that fantasy book. So that was our third favorite, just looking at our numbers. And number two? Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, which we gave 4.45 stars. Yay! Came in number one in terms of performance, number two in terms of our favorites. Number two for us. So I well, like that book. I'll read it again someday. Yes. You probably will too, right? Yes. Okay, so here we go. 
the Bill Murray Award for our favorite book of the year based on what we've read is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. We gave it a 4.75 combined score. Yes, and that never made number one. We read it because we knew it would end up in the top 10. I'm glad we did. And it it was, to me, easily my favorite book that I read last year. I love Bonnie Garmus's Lessons in Chemistry, but I have to say, in the big scheme of things, in 10 or 15 years, which book do you think is going to be remembered? I think it's going to be Demon Copperhead. Well, I think it's going to be both of them. But, <laughs> I but I think, but I think Demon Copperhead is is just it's it's that literary. You know, we gave it our full review. You can listen to that episode. Please do hear everything we thought about it. It's easy to find. All right. Well, happy Bill Murray Award to all three of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, congratulations to all the award winners, and thank you all of you for joining us. We'll see you next week when we review Let Us Descend by Jessamyn Ward, our 2023 pick for best opening line. Until then, keep dreaming, keep flying, keep laughing, keep crying, and don't stop until you've read them all. longest episode of the